I'm at the airport. Oh. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. Jack, we haven't much time. I want you to round up every available man. Arm them and do what? What are you talking about? Jack, do as I say. Notify the state police to meet you at the Deemer place. Notify the state police? You must be drunk. No, no, I haven't been drinking. All I want you to do is... I know, I know. Just call the state police. Please, Jack, believe me. All right, all right, I'll do it. Thanks, I'll see you. I'm Captain Kirk. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present the winners of the 74th Annual Hunger Games. I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? Rose. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. My name is Optimus Prime. I am the future of war. Resistance is futile. Jedi's strength flows from the force, but beware of the dark side. Oh. 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 Iron Man, that's kind of catchy. It's got a nice ring to it. I mean, it's not technically accurate. It's a gold titanium alloy. I'm sorry, David. I'm afraid I can't do that. This is a uh, Cole. You're listening to Trex and Sci-Fi. What's happening, everybody? This is Mark Daniels from the Great Pacific Northwest, and you are listening to Trex in Sci-Fi. This is episode 858 for Sunday, April 10th, 2022. I'm back this week with another classic science fiction movie. Today's movie is a big bug movie. It's Tarantula from 1955. It stars John Agar, Mara Corday, and Leo G. Carroll. Before I get into today's podcast, I want to thank Rico for giving me another opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoy it. With that said, I'm going to play the trailer to Tarantula. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. I'll be back after the trailer with some movie information, and then we'll get into today's movie. What if circumstances were to magnify one of them in size and strength, took it out of its primitive world and turned it loose in ours, then expect something that's fiercer, more cruel and deadly than anything that ever walked the earth? Even science was stunned. The new atomic miracle should have been mankind's greatest boon. Instead, when such power to cause phenomenal growth proved dangerously unstable, man was confronted with his most shocking blunder, the isotope triggered our nutrient into a nightmare. 
A blunder that transformed a tiny insect into the hundred-foot spider that was now ravaging the panic-stricken countryside. Tarantula is a 1955 American science fiction movie directed by Jack Arnold and produced by William Allen. The screenplay was written by Robert M. Fresco and Martin Berkeley. The story was based on a teleplay, No Food for Thought, by Robert M. Fresco from Science Fiction Theater. It stars John Agar, Mara Corday, Leo G. Carroll. It was distributed by Universal International Films. The release date was December 23rd, 1955, and it has a running time of 80 minutes. And here's the cast, starting at the top. Leo G. Carroll as Professor Gerald Deemer. John Agar as Dr. Matt Hastings. Mara Corday as Stephanie Clayton. Nestor Pava as Sheriff Jack Andrews. Ross Elliott as Joe Birch. Edwin Rand as Lieutenant John Nolan. Raymond Bailey as Dr. Townsend. Eddie Parker as Jacobs and Lunn. Hank Patterson as Josh. Bert Holland as Barney Russell. And Steve Darrell as Andy Anderson. And that's all I have for movie information. So let's get into today's movie. Today's movie starts with a severely deformed man wandering in the Arizona desert. The body of the man is later found, and Dr. Matt Hastings, a doctor from a local town of Desert Rock, Arizona, is called by the sheriff, Jack Andrews, to examine the body. All right, Doc. Phone's been ringing like crazy for you. Sheriff's half out of his mind. Call him for me, will you, Josh? Yeah. I'm ringing him, Doc. That's fine. He's on, Doc. Thanks, Josh. Hello, Jack. What's up? Can you come over right away, Doc? I hate to bother you. I know you've been up all night, but this is important. Okay. Doc, sure sounded worried, didn't he? Someday, you old codger, you're going to hear something you won't like. Are you inferring that I was listening in? Yeah. Hi, Jack. What's all the excitement about? Who's sick? Nobody. Huh? The boys found a man near the highway this morning. Run over? No. Well, then? That's why I called you, Doc. What's it look like? Like nothing I've ever seen before. Who is it? Well, he has the same general build as Eric Jacobs, but I'm not sure. I don't follow you. There's something about his face says he's Jacobs, but maybe he ain't. Look, Jack, I'm lost. You remember Jacobs, don't you? 
Yeah, yeah, he's a biologist, works for Professor Deemer. Met him a couple of years ago. He's over at the Undertaker's. You'd better have a look. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Charlie. I phoned Deemer right away. He said he'd be over to see if this is him. You know Deemer, don't you? Yeah, when I opened my office, I went out to pay my respects. He was polite enough, but I had the feeling I wasn't welcome, so I never went back. Oh, some of these big brains never learn manners. Here he is, Barney. Hi, Doc. Hello, Barney. You figure this one out and you're good. sure. That's not Jacobs. This man has had the disease for years. I saw Jacobs last month. He looked okay then. They're in the back room, Professor. It's Eric, all right. He was my friend for 30 years. Better come outside, Professor. Yes. You all through in there? Yeah. Leave us alone for a minute, will you, Bunny? Yeah, sure. Professor, I have to know all about it. Why he looks that way, why he was missing. Sheriff, have you ever watched a friend dying before your eyes and not been able to help? That's the worst of it. Being helpless. It's particularly tough when you're a physician and you know what's wrong with him. And there isn't a single solitary thing you or anyone else can do. When I saw the body, I, I thought it was acromegalia. But that's not possible. Acromegalia? The pituitary gland goes haywire, Jack. It distorts the face, neck, hands and feet. I met Jacobs a couple of years ago at your place. The sheriff saw him about a month ago. He looked normal then. It is acromegalia. But in every case I've ever heard of, it, it's taken years to produce the deformity. I know. The history of medicine is the history of the unusual. Perhaps Eric had been ill for years, who knows? But it was only four days ago that he began to complain of muscular pains. Neither of us thought too much about it. These things happen as you grow older. And the next morning, he began to... to change. Maybe we'd better do an autopsy just to make sure. I don't think that'll be necessary. I was in attendance and I signed the death certificate. Oh, I see. How come we found him on the desert? Dr. Jacobs became delirious last night broke out of the house and ran into the desert. Are you certain he hadn't complained of anything before that time? There's nothing I can add to what I've already said. Eric had no family. I'll arrange for the funeral. Thank you for calling me so promptly. Goodbye, Dr. Hastings. Professor? Acromegalia. You heard the man. I sure did. Yeah, a young fellow like you can't stack what he knows against the professor. The trouble is, Doc, you hate to admit you're wrong. We all make mistakes, Jack. This isn't one of mine.
Professor Gerald Deemer says Dr. Jacobs died of acromegalia, but Dr. Hastings is unconvinced since acromegalia takes years to reach its current state. Professor Deemer acknowledges that Dr. Jacobs' development of acromegalia was rapid, just over four days, but insists that there are abnormalities to be expected on occasion. Hey, you got that look like you swallowed the canary. Not at all. If there's anything a man hates, it's to be told he's wrong when he knows he's right. <laughs> I knew Deemer had burned your tail. Listen, I'm just a country doctor, but I know what I know. And I know acromegalia doesn't turn up in four days out of left field. So? So I went to the medical library in Phoenix and read up on it. There wasn't one single recorded case in medical history where a malformation developed as fast as Deemer said Jacobs did. You mean he was lying to us? I don't know. But I'd like to know why he was in such a hurry to bury Jacobs and why he didn't want me to do an autopsy. The man's an M.D. like you. He's entitled to his opinion. Or do you want me to charge him with confusing a country doctor? There's nothing like the safety of prestige, is there, Sheriff? Oh, let's skip it. Everything's clean and legal, and I, I wouldn't want you to stick your neck out for anything. What do you want me to do? Pinch him because I don't like the way he parts his hair? Have you ever asked yourself what Deemer and Jacobs were working on in their lab? No, and I don't intend to jimmy open a window to find out either. Deemer's specialty is nutrient biology. Jacobs is a leader in the same field. Now, when two big shots like that get together and hole up in the desert 20 miles from civilization, I'd say they might be working on something they're not too anxious to talk about. Oh. You think whatever they might be doing ties in with what killed Jacobs? I wish I knew. Uh-oh. Joe Birch is on the warpath again. What'd you do this time? Oh, I forgot to tell him about Jacobs. Well, good day, my very, very good friends. A fine pay you turned out to be. I practically had the paper put to bed when I found out about Jacobs by accident. Well, I'm sorry, Joe. It slipped my mind. What do you want to know? Only when I haven't found out for myself. I sneaked a look at the death certificate over at Barney's. Got the personal dope on him out of who's who. How often does this acromegalia occur, Doc? Not very. First time I've seen it, as a matter of fact. My dictionary says it's chronic. It doesn't mention death. Well, death doesn't usually come from the disease itself. It's caused by suffocation. What do you mean, suffocation? Well, the tongue becomes enlarged, the throat, the thorax, the heart. Everything gets pushed out of place. Oh. What do you think Dima's been working on out there? That I'd like to know. Well, I'll hop out with Ridley, grab a couple of pictures, and see what I can find out. Oh, by the way, Doc. How long had Jacobs been dead when our friend here remembered to call you? Will you lay off? Eight or ten hours. Thanks, Doc. I'll be sure to spell your name right. As for your friend, it might just slip my mind to support him the next time he comes up for election. Say, that's a good idea, Jack. You going out to Deemer's? Joe will get him so riled up with questions he may take to me. A newcomer to town, Stephanie Clayton, nicknamed Steve, has signed on to assist in Professor Deemer's lab. Told by the hotel clerk that she will have to wait until the ta only taxi returns. She accepts a ride from Dr. Hastings and is going back to the Professor Deemer's lab. I wonder if you might tell me the best way to get out to the Deemer place. It's about... I know where it is. Oh, is there a bus or cab available? Well, yes, but there won't be any buses through anymore today. Oh, well, then would you mind calling a cab for me? I wouldn't mind it a bit, but it wouldn't do no good. 
because Jasper, you see, it's his cab. He's out to bar six and won't be back for a couple of hours. Oh. Maybe longer. Well, what'll I do? Sit on and wait. That's all you can do. Oh, thank you. come through here before, have you? No. Didn't think I'd seen you. You any kin to this man, Deemer? No, I'm not. He any kin to you? Oh, no. I don't suppose it... I doubt it. Me too. Josh, I'm expecting a call from Dan Simon. Switch it to the Deemer place, will you? You going out there? Just leaving. Take her with you. Well, you see, I, I was asking how to get out there, but, well, I wouldn't want to impose on you. No, he won't mind. No, I'd be glad to drive you. Well, if you're sure. Are these yours? Uh-huh. Hey, ain't you two going to introduce yourselves? No. No. be a fast world. Think it's about time? Dr. Matt Hastings. Stephanie Clayton. Steve. I like Steve. I'm really indebted to you, Dr. Hastings, for this ride. Or rather, I'm indebted to your friend Josh. So am I. I guess it's none of my business asking why you're going out to Deemer's place, but... Why not? I'm doing graduate work in biology. The professor teaches it already did. I knew it would happen. Give women the vote and what do you get? Lady Zions. <laughs> well, students so far. You see, I wrote a paper on the nutritional aspects of expanding populations. And Professor Jacobs read it and offered me a job for the summer. Uh, how about a place to live? There are a couple of nice boarding houses in Desert Rock. Cost less than a hotel. Well, no. I'm going to stay at the professor's. You see, it's all part of my contract. I'll be laboratory technician, cook, student. Well, the whole works. Oh, I see. Well, it's one way of earning a master's. And it's worth it working with people like Deemer and Professor Jacobs. How well did you know Eric Jacobs? Oh, I've never met him. He just read the paper and liked it, and that was that. He's dead. Died yesterday morning. How? Glandular condition called acromegalia. Acromegalia? Isn't that a very rare disease? Extremely. Are you sure it was that? No. No, I'm not sure at all. At the mansion, Dr. Hastings and Steve encounter local journalist Joe Birch, who is asking questions about Dr. Jacob's death but getting the runaround from Professor Deemer. He has a wonderful lab here. One of the best. Oh? Looks like nobody's home. There must be someone. That's Joe Birch's car over there. Might as well. The electric panel shorted. And, well, you can see for yourself. You estimated the amount of damage yet, Professor? 
Well, the greatest damage, of course, was to the work that was destroyed. Let's get back to Jacobs. Why did he leave? I've told you all that is. Will you gentlemen excuse me? Uh, one more picture. Please. Pat the monkey, Professor. I said that was all. I think that ought to be enough, Joe. Professor's had a rough couple of days. Yes, thank you, Dr. Hastings. Thanks for the story, Professor. I didn't mean to add to your troubles. Come on, Ridley. See you later, Matt. See you, Joe. I thought I'd never get rid of them. You must forgive an old man. Uh, have I uh, met you before, miss? Oh, uh, no, I... This is Stephanie Clayton. It seems Professor Jacobs wrote for an assistant. She's it. Ah, yes, yes. Eric told me you were coming. But I didn't expect to see a biologist that looked like you. Oh, that was intended as a compliment. I'm afraid I've gotten a bit rusty. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. Well, I don't know that you'll want to stay on with all that has happened. You're welcome to, of course. But, uh, Eric... Uh... Oh, I know. Uh, Dr. Hastings told me on the way out. I see. Well, with Eric gone, I'm alone. Oh, I'm sure I can be of service. I mean, if you're going to continue with your work. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. For Eric's sake, if nothing else. Wasn't Paul Lund working with you, Professor Deemer? Paul? Yes, he was studying for his doctorate when I was a freshman. I'd heard he came here. Oh, yes, of course, yes. Paul Lund. No, he's not with us anymore. Well, come now, Miss Clayton, let me show you my lab. Are you interested at all, Doctor? Yes, of course. Well, I've put all I own into this. It's my life. Everything that I have and care for is here. Unfortunately, part of it has been destroyed. I see. What's in the vial, Professor? A nutrient. You mean a synthetic? A completely non-organic food concentrate. Medicine has lengthened the lifespan and people live longer. But the food supply remains fairly static. World population is increasing at the rate of 25 millions a year. An overcrowded world. That means not enough to eat. The disease of hunger, like most diseases, well, it spreads. There are two billion people in the world today. In 1975, there will be three billion. In the year 2000, there will be three billion, 625 million. The world may not be able to produce enough food to feed all these people. Now, perhaps you'll understand what a, an inexpensive nutrient will mean. Well, not many of us look that far into the future, sir. Our business is the future. No man can do it on his own, of course. You don't pull it out of your hat like a magician's rabbit. You, well, you build on what hundreds of others have learned before you. I thought that synthesis was impossible without a bonding agent to hold everything together. And we use the simplest of all, the atom. Let me show you. That's an isotope, isn't it? A radioactive isotope. Ammoniac. And that's what binds your solution? Binds it and triggers it. Using it, Eric's dream and mine may be a reality before... Excuse me. Hello? Oh, yes. It's for you, Doctor. Thank you. 
Hello. Hi, Josh. Of course. Call her back, tell her I'll stop by on my way home. Bye. Sorry to break this up. Thanks for the tour, Professor. Maybe one of these days you'll invite me back. Why, yes, of course. Oh, Professor, I, uh... I'm still puzzled by the speed with which Jacob's malformation developed. Can you explain it? Eric is dead, and he shouldn't be. But the cause was acromegalia, nothing else. It seems such a deviation from the classic cases. You're being very diplomatic, Doctor. Why don't you speak up? Don't you think, sir, this time you might be wrong? In this case, no. You want to do an autopsy. Why don't you? Oh, do you object it? I was upset. Eric was not only my colleague, he was my closest friend. You have my permission. Well, thank you, sir. I'll let you know what I find. And please, don't forget to invite me back. Dr. Hastings does an autopsy on Dr. Jacob's body and finds nothing out of the ordinary. What you got? I'll give it to you fast, Jack. Nothing. Nothing? You mean the professor was right? Couldn't have been more right. Well, how do you like that? You make a big thing out of it. Show Deemer up for maybe a murder, and then... You want me to go ahead with the interment, Jack? You might as well, before this amateur gumshoe gets any more bright ideas. The case is closed. And the next time I need a doctor, I'll call one in from Phoenix. You know, I don't think Jack's too happy about all this. I don't blame him. And I still can't figure it out. Professor Deemer and Steve are working in the lab. You're getting quite an expert at this. I don't know what I'd do without you. Now, let's see how we make out. It's one thing to develop a formula on paper, another to make it work. So far, we've found an almost consistent instability in the material. One batch of nutrient varies sharply from the next. What do you want to try it on this time? One of the baby rats. Okay. How long before we know anything, Professor? Well, there have been times when the instability has caused death. Oh? I meant if it works. Let me show you. You see that rabbit? Yes. How old would you say he was? Four months. Look at the chart. Six days. Is it normal? I ran a reflex test on him after you went to bed last night. The only difference between him and the others is that he's healthier and stronger. All the same, we mustn't be in too much of a hurry. We've got to lick this problem of instability. Once we can control that, we're ready for the ultimate test on humans. There mustn't be a mistake this time. Dr. Hastings and Steve get to know each other a little better. Have the prescription refilled and be sure she takes it after every meal. Okay, Doc. But you know women. Mary will just let us sit on the shelf. Yeah, but you'll feel better knowing it's there, won't you? Yeah, I suppose so. Say, when are you and me flying out for some more fishing? It's been four or five weeks since... Excuse me, Jim. Steve! 
Carry your books, miss? <laughs> Thanks. I haven't been walked to school in a long time. Hey, you dress up our town very nicely. If you don't look out, the Chamber of Commerce is going to list you in their publicity with a local attraction. <laughs> Say, do you have to go right back? No. Good, let's skip school. All right. like an oasis. I bring all my patients here. I'll bet. How's this? Fine. <sighs> Not now, thanks. How are you getting along with Deemer? Half the time he doesn't know I'm there, and the other half he's worried I'll make a mistake. He's quite a guy, I guess. Oh, yes. Has he, uh... Has he said anything more about that uh, assistant that left? No. How's the nutrient coming along? Well, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. How long does it take an ordinary rabbit to reach full growth? I don't know, four or five months, I guess. He has one there that's reached maturity in six days. Six days? I know, it sounds unbelievable, but it's true. It's still so new and unpredictable. There are all sorts of things to take into account before we can even think of experimenting on humans. Some of the nutrient, when unstable, has even been deadly. But we do know that it's kept animals alive that have been fed nothing else. Oh, if I sit here much longer, I'm going to miss my bus. Who can ask for a better opening? I'm at your service, miss. Are you sure your patients can spare you? I'm such a good doctor, they never get sick. <laughs> Come on, let's go. All right. Dr. Hastings accompanies Steve to the lab. Professor Deemer has gone to bed, so she shows Dr. Hastings what they're working on, the use of radioactive elements to produce an artificial supernutrient, which, once perfected, could provide an unlimited food supply for humanity. She shows Dr. Hastings the animal, animal's test subjects. Professor Deemer appears and angry with Steve for revealing his secret work. My laboratory is not open to the public, Miss Clayton. Explain why you brought Dr. Hastings here. S sir? Dr. Hastings. Can you please explain why you brought him here? Well, he's very interested in your work, sir, and I thought it would be all... Were you in the habit of conducting tours at Owens University? No, sir, but I thought it would... Bringing him here was a breach of my trust in you. Experimental research is always confidential, be it here or anywhere else. You didn't tell me it was confidential. I didn't think I'd need to. Professor, your face. That will be enough, Miss Clayton. Yes, sir. A few days later, the sheriff asks Dr. Hastings to accompany him as he investigates picked clean cattle carcasses and large pools of thick white liquid. Glad you finally got here, Sheriff. Hi, Doc. Didn't expect to see you. Hi, Andy. Jack met me on the way. Told me you've been having trouble. Yeah, darndest thing ever happened. Where's what we came for? Let's go. Never saw anything like it. No footprints, no blood, no sign of struggle. The bones just stripped clean like peeling a banana. 
about noon, the boy here came up from the lower section and found them. I don't suppose it could have been mountain lions. I've ranched here 22 years now, Doc, and I've had more than my share of lions and wolves. It wasn't them. Where'd that come from? It was there when the boy got here. Stop worrying about that and tell me what's picking my cattle clean. That's all I want to know. What's doing it? Take it easy, Andy. They're not your cattle. If it could happen last night, it could happen tonight. Tomorrow night. It could wipe me out. Aren't you going to do anything? I'm up a tree, Andy, like you are. I don't know where to start thinking. You got any ideas, Doc? You better round up what livestock you can and stand guard. If you see or hear anything, ring me at the house. I'll be there just in case. See you, Andy. The next night, a horse rancher and two men inside a pickup truck are killed. Hi, Jack. Anyone pull through? You kidding? I want to show you something. Morning, Doc. Sheriff tells me you've seen something like this before. Yeah. You buying this accident business, Doc? Aren't you? Nope. I can't figure it. There isn't a skid mark. We plowed through the wreck and found the brakes still work. It's just like something grabbed the pickup and threw it 30 feet off the road. Take a look at this, Doc. I can't understand why I didn't spot this stuff when I hauled those skeletons out of here and stacked them on the other side. They were here? Yes, sir. Why? There doesn't seem to be any distinctive odor. Mmm. Wow. Say, have you got a thermos or a jar around here somewhere? I think there's one over here. Same stuff we found at Andy's? Yeah, I think so. Well, that makes three, then. Three? Here's stuff you saw yesterday in Andy's. Andy? His wife found him at the crowd last night, dead. He'd been, uh, like cattle and sheep. There's a couple of gallons of this liquid beside him. Wish you'd give me a hand with this, Yon Doc. Stuff here I can't handle. Maybe there's stuff here none of us can. If I were you, Joe, I'd write this as a straight accident. If you print anything as vague as what we've got, you'll scare half the state to death. News is news, Doc. Guess and a half-truth are news. Why don't you hold off till we nail this down tight? Maybe then you'll have the biggest story of your life. What have you got, Matt? I don't know. But we got to keep our minds open and our mouths shut till we do know. Here you are, Doc. Thanks. I'm not sure. It's impossible at this stage to give you a positive answer. But it's related to insect venom. Insect venom? Oh, come off it, Matt. I know. But it checks. Acidic content, the whole works. I'm not sure what kind of insect venom it is, but... Now, look, Matt, I'm willing to play ball with you, but there's a limit to what I'll swallow. Check it yourself, Joe. I'll show you how. 
Oh, you're having nightmares, Doc. There's not an insect in the world with that much venom. All right, don't take my word for it. Get someone else to analyze it. Who? Professor Deemer. Hey, that's a good idea. I'll make a date with him. Take the stuff out, okay? Okay. And this time, don't you forget to let me know. Why won't you? Insect venom in the large economy side. I've heard everything. Dr. Hastings takes samples of the unknown substance and flies them to the Arizona Agricultural Institute in Phoenix. The substance is determined to be tarantula venom. Dr. Townsend assures Dr. Hastings that tarantulas are not normally aggressive towards humans and that tarantula venom is not potent enough to be dangerous. However, he acknowledges that a tarantula large enough to produce pools of venom, Dr. Hastings describes, would be a genuine menace. Well, that was a pretty accurate analysis you made, Doctor. And it is insect venom. Well, not precisely. It's from a species called arachnida. A spider? Well, a tarantula, to be exact. But I've never seen venom in such quantity before. You know, there's more venom in this test tube than you'll find in a hundred tarantulas. You mean a tarantula that could secrete that much venom would be a hundred times larger than normal? Oh, at least that. What would you say, doctor, if I told you I found pools of that venom? Four and five feet across, two to three inches deep. I'd say you'd been having a nightmare. Oh, that you're the biggest liar since Baron Munchausen. It's a nightmare, all right, Doctor. But not the kind you mean. And I'm not lying to you. The tarantula film is ready, Professor. Oh, thank you, Jean. Now, look, I know you didn't fly 200 miles just for a joke, but I, I simply can't believe all you're good telling night, me. Professor. Oh, good night, Jean. Well, under the circumstances, we, we might find this interesting. That's the largest of tarantulas from South America. And it's only a foot in diameter with its legs outstretched. I know. Our Arizona species is even smaller. That's right. Not more than three inches in size. Now, there it is coming out of its burrow. It's got eight legs, can move faster than you think, which assures him of a long life, as long as 25 years sometime. That's the uh, spider wasp, the tarantula's deadliest enemy. See, the wasp usually wins, but... Don't count on it, because the tarantula doesn't know the meaning of fear. As you can see, he'll back down a rattlesnake if he has to. You see? They're flesh eaters, aren't they? Yes, and desert beetles are the usual diet. Those powerful jaws are strong enough to pierce a man's finger. There. The venom is paralyzing the victim. Tarantulas pre-digest their food by flooding the wound with a powerful solvent so that the flesh can be sucked into the body. Well, that would account for the bones. Uh, and Dr. Hazings, your imagination is showing. So that's it, Doctor. How deadly is the venom? Oh, not deadly at all. About as poisonous as a hornet's. No fun, mind you, but harmless. The few deaths that have been reported are the result of germs entering the wound at the time of the bite. You make them sound like pets. Not pets, Doctor. Just part of the world about us. We must accept them as we do the rest of God's creatures. Each has a function in its own world. But what if circumstances magnified one of them in size and strength? Took it out of its primitive world and turned it loose in ours? Then expect something that's fiercer, 
More cruel and deadly than anything that ever walked the earth. Dr. Hastings flies back to Desert Rock and drives to Professor Deemer's mansion, where he finds him near death, suffering from severe deformities. Professor Deemer divulges all that he knows about the nutrient and says Lund and Dr. Jacob tested it upon themselves against his advice. Hurry, man! Are you all right? Something's happened. He can finally breathe. Steve, get me some water, will you? Don't you think we ought to get him to a hospital? There isn't anything they can do for him we can't do right here. I spent every waking hour on this ever since our days at Oak Ridge. But he was an impatient old man. He was convinced that occasional failure with the animals didn't necessarily mean that the nutrient would fail with humans. Then, one day, when I was in town, he and Paul injected themselves. When did Jacobs inject himself, sir? Four days before he died. Acromegalia developed in four days. The isotope triggered our nutrient into a nightmare. Then Paul went crazy and it attacked me. While I was unconscious, he made sure that I wouldn't survive. But I continued the experiment, hoping that in the short time left to me, I'd be able to prove the nutrient would work. Oh, you should have seen them. You should have seen them. You should have seen them before the fire. They lived on nothing but our nutrient. A rat, eight times normal size. Guinea pig, big as a police dog. A tarantula. Lost, all lost. What about the tarantula? Burned. upstairs. He'll sleep for a while. 
Is there any hope? Here's something to relieve the pain. Give him one when he wakes up. Where are you going? Well, the tarantula... There's something I want to check on. I'll phone you when I get back. As night falls, the tarantula, now larger than the house, attacks the mansion. Professor Deemer is killed by falling debris, but Steve escapes. Dr. Hastings returns for her in his car. The tarantula pursues them down the highway towards the town. The sheriff's men intercept, but their guns have no effect. That is correct. You've got at the outside 30 minutes to get everybody out. Over. Desert Rock will be cleared in 30 minutes. Over. You think dynamite would stop him? Get a truck over to Murphy's. Load up all the dynamite he has. Bring it just north of Devil's Rock. We'll be waiting for it. Yeah, dynamite might work. But what if it doesn't? You got any other suggestions, Doc? It'll be light soon. If we could get a message to the air base at Sand. Well, how are you going to do that? Somebody could phone from town. Unless the lines are down. Sergeant, I want you to phone the commanding officer at Sands Air Base. Any special instructions, Doc? Yeah. The boys have some napalm. Tell them to bring it along. Sergeant, tell them to load up with napalm, rockets, anything they've got. Dynamite is gathered from town, but a blast large enough to blow up the highway does not phase the tarantula. You think it'll work? Dynamite's tricky stuff. It may blow it up. It may just blow the highway up. Doggone, I wish we had some nitro. I'll have to see that tarantula before I believe it. You'll see it, Joe. And you'll wish you hadn't. Let's go, let's go! Get those wires hooked up! As the people evacuate the town, an Air Force fighter jet 
squadron summoned by the sheriff launches a napalm attack, incinerating the tarantula at the town's edge. And that's the end of today's movie. Now it's time for some movie trivia. Although set in the fictitious town of Desert Rock, Arizona, Tarantula was filmed entirely in California, with the desert scenes being shot in Apple Valley. The movie's theatrical release poster, featuring a spider with two eyes instead of a normal eight, and carrying a woman with the fangs, does not represent any scene in the movie. Matter of fact, all of the victims of the spider were males. Like them, Tarantula makes an atmospheric use of the desert locations. While a radioactive isotope does make an appearance, it differs from most 1950s big bug movies, having the mutation caused by a peaceful research of a well-intentioned scientist rather than by nuclear weapons and or a mad genius. Leo G. Carroll and the title of today's movie Tarantula were mentioned in the opening song, science fiction double feature of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The spider in today's movie would later appear in the movie, The Incredible Shrinking Man. Clint Eastwood has an uncredited role as the fighter jet leader in today's movie. A lot of, a lot of the music cues in today's movie were reused from It Came From Outer Space and This Island Earth. That's all I have for movie trivia. Now it's time for the Star Trek connection. Everybody knows that I'm a big Star Trek fan, and I try to find a Star Trek connection in every TV show or movie I watch. I'm afraid to say that I couldn't find a Star Trek connection in today's movie. So what I would like to do is something a little different this week and look at some of the familiar faces in today's movie. Starting at the top. John Agar, he was a B-movie actor best known for marrying Shirley Temple and also being the B-movie king. He appeared in several sci-fi B-movies. And here's a list. Xantar, The Thing from Venus, Women of the Prehistoric Planet, Journey to the Seventh Planet, Destination Space, Invisible Invaders, Attack of the Puppet People, the Brain from Planet Eris, The Mole People, and Revenge of the Creature. Mara Corday, she was a B-movie actress best known for her roles in westerns and sci-fi B-movies. And you can also see her in The Black Scorpion and The Giant Claw. Leo G. Carroll was a British actor known for his roles in six Alfred Hitchcock movies and his roles in tele the television series Topper, Going My Way, and The Man from Uncle. Nestor Pava, he was a veteran character actor, best known for his roles in Creature from the Black Lagoon, Revenge of the Creature, and The Mole People. Ross Elliott was a veteran TV and movie actor. He has been in everything. I remember him from a role he had in Kelly's Heroes. Raymond Bailey, he's another veteran actor, best known for his role as Mr. Melbourne Drysdale in the Beverly Hillbillies. Hank Patterson was an actor and a musician, best known for his roles in Gunsmoke, Green Acres, and Petticoat Junction. And last but not least, 
Bing Russell. He was a character actor, best known for his roles in Westerns and movies and TV shows in the 1950s and 60s. Some of you are probably going, who in the name of Kenneth Toby is Bing Russell? Well, Bing Russell is Kurt Russell's father. And that's all I have for familiar faces. Here are my comments about today's movie. I watched the 2013 DVD box set from Universal Studios. It was part of the classic sci-fi collection. The set includes The Incredible Shrinking Man, Monster on Campus, The Monolith Monsters, The Mole People, and today's movie. The picture and sound quality was pretty good on this DVD. The only bonus feature on the DVD was the theatrical trailer. That's it. Tarantula was Universal Studios' entry into the big bug movie craze after the success of Warner Brothers' Them the previous year. Tarantula is a typical science fiction B-movie. It's got all the ingredients you need. It has a, a radiation which causes an ordinary insect to mutate into a giant monster. Check. It's got an older scientist with a young, attractive female lab assistant who has a male nickname. Check. It's got the square-jawed hero. Check. It's got an educational film about the insects. Check. And, of course, the United States military saves the day. Check. Tarantula's a good movie. It's got a decent story. Uh, all the actors did a good job. It's just an average sci-fi B movie. It's not great. It's not like them. Them was a great movie, but this ain't them. Uh, I would recommend this movie for all science fiction B movie fans on a scale from one to 10. I'll give it a solid six. And those are my comments about Tarantula. That's it for today's podcast. Before I end today's podcast, I want to thank Rico again for giving me another opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoyed it. Rico will be back on the podcast next week. I'll end today's podcast with the main title theme to today's movie. I'll be back soon with another classic science fiction movie. Until then, everyone take care, stay healthy. This is M5 signing off.